for the last few years, Bedrock Games has been creating some very um, interesting games in, in some very serious attempts to create some very cinematic experiences. And to be honest, to some degree, really su succeeding at this, uh, with the horror show being a, a really nice example um, of, of, of a very, very interesting game that attempts uh, new things. Yes, they, they have had some, some mishaps here and there with Arrows of Indra. Uh, Servants of Gaius has received some criticism as well. Um, but it, it is pretty clear that they are trying to explore different cultures and how to bring those cultures into role-playing games in a way that would be as approachable as, as possible, even if it hasn't always been with, with a great deal of success. But uh, at least they're trying something that not many other people are trying. With Sertorius, they upped their game and they created quite a rich environment and, and quite a rich world where people can play and there are some very original concepts in there. Their recent offering that they've just published, uh, The Wandering Heroes of the Ogre Gate, it tries to get the wuxia genre into the RPG world in a slightly more serious and I think to be perfectly honest quite a very well researched way of doing it. Located in the universe of Sertorius it doesn't place it in, in China itself but just in a China-like world which is a very good idea. It avoids an awful lot of potential problems and I know for a fact uh, the, the, one of the writers, uh, Brendan Davis, is, is very, very keen, very keen on the wuxia genre. So I, I believe he's going to do a, a massive effort in, in creating a respectful game with a good cultural representation. And that to me, as you know, if you're a listener of the podcast, matters a great deal. So I thought, right, let's, let's, let's have a chat with Brendan. Let's find out exactly what's going on in this world, what's happening with, with this wuxia genre and how, the, how he has managed, with his other two co-writers, has managed to create a game that will be true to the roots and still very entertaining, approachable for everyone without being disrespectful. This is my interview. I really hope you enjoy the show. Brenda Davis, welcome back, sir. It's been a very, very long time. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you doing? I am doing all the better for, for having you around here to talk about your your newest and uh, most recent, and I would say the most ambitious game that you have got out here because the Wandering Heroes of Ogre Gate, this game is huge. Yeah, I, I think this is definitely i mean we, we've done it one other big game we did satorius but it wasn't quite as um like you said ambitious i think we were trying to really do a lot and this was a genre i felt maybe stronger about than any that we've worked on so i really wanted to get it right and yeah so um it's definitely a much a bigger uh more complete game than our previous efforts so tell me a little bit about uh, the wandering he heroes of ogre gate what what's is it all about? Because I know that you're very keen on Wuxia, and this is a Wuxia game, but I'm not entirely sure what that means. 
So yeah, it's it's a wuxia RPG, and basically, if anybody's ever seen any of these, um, you know, films from uh, from China or uh, uh, Taiwan, where they're you know usually set in a historical period, and usually there's a lot of things like swordplay involved, and the characters are typically uh, like honorable heroes who use their powerful kung fu and swordplay to protect the weak. That's basically what this is. So if you've seen something like um, any of the old Shaw Brothers movies, any of the uh, the Chinese drama series that that uh, you know are available in places like Vicky, things like that. So Legend of Condor Heroes, Return of Condor Heroes. It's it's an RPG that tries to emulate that genre. How do you go about creating it to start with? Um, like from from the very beginning, like how we made it the core system and built it up well um, um to be honest i'm, oh, I'm more interested in finding out um how did you decide to go to go about creating uh, such a specific um setting and make sure that you were going to respect the cultural background behind the the, the genre itself how, what was your philosophy when you decided you know i, I want to make a game about wuxia it's something i'm very very interested in i'm very passionate about it i want a wuxia game uh, but I, you know, you, you are not Chinese. Um, so how did you go about making sure that you were going to create something that would respect um, the, the, the roots that it came from? Um, well, I think the first thing I did was I made sure that even if I felt like I knew the genre, I went back and watched as much as I could have. Like I would, you know, films I had seen, uh, things I hadn't seen. I, I read up on the subject. I, I familiarized myself with with um, more of the background information. You know, most of the movies and stuff are based on on, on novels, so I, I learned more about that. Uh, but I also reached out to people. You know, online these days, you can connect with folks in China and other places. So I was able to contact people who live in China that are Wuxia fans, and I was able to you know run ideas by them and say, Hey, am I getting this right? And they gave me a lot of really great uh, feedback. I have a friend named Chang who I've um, I've posted videos of his on my uh, on my blog page, and he was instrumental in in making sure that I, I understood some of the concepts. Because even though I'm a fan, you know, I have to admit some of these things uh, can fly over my head a little bit because uh, you know I might see something and and misunderstand it. It might be translated funny. Sometimes they translate things a certain way, but it. If you ask somebody about the original Chinese, it's it's actually more complicated. So so I found it really helpful to just reach out to people. I also uh, I took a lot of opportunities to if I saw a paper about like like from a from a professor of Chinese history, whether it was a you know like an American professor or a professor from China or whoever, I would I would write to them and ask them a question. And I found a lot of them were very responsive. So. Uh, so I don't know. I, I just did my best to, to 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 fill in what knowledge gaps I had, and I also tried to approach it. I guess the way that I've always approached these movies is I do it knowing that it's um, that it's in translation, and I also have kind of taken the philosophy of um, enjoying wuxia without any sense of irony. Mm -hmm. I think that that is sometimes what you know you, you, I think it maybe is a little bit more insulting if you do it that way so I wanted to make sure that this was more genuine affection for the genre not laughing at the genre um, and also my uh, you know uh, it's not China but my wife is from Thailand and so 
uh, I was also just you know just having that that connection to someone who's more in the um, cultural sphere of China. Uh, you know, getting some of her insights was helpful as well. So tell me a little bit about the background, the setting of of the game. Where, where does the Wandering Heroes of Vorgate take place? Who are the characters? Well, so I should say uh, we put out a game called Sartorius about two or three years ago, and I already knew, like I was already developing Ogregate when when we released that, and and while we were working on it, I was you know I had Ogregate in mind. And I kind of planted a seed in that that connected the two settings. And Ogregate takes place in a in a sort of fantasy uh, version of China. It's not it's not China. It's 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 definitely a fantasy setting, but it's inspired uh, primarily by the Song Dynasty period of Chinese history. Mm-hmm. And there's you know it's it's this world that. You know, it was once you know there was no magic there. There was no um, there were there were no martial heroes in kung fu, or at least no you know martial arts that were based on chi energy, anything like that. And and something from the Satorius realm broke through and disrupted things and unleashed chi into the land, and and became a kind of uh, uh, imperial conqueror. And the and the and the and the people of this uh, of uh, of uh, the land is called Chishien. Uh, the people of Chishien had to rise up and fight him, and they and they learned to use the the chi energy, uh, uh, you know, with with uh, and develop martial arts around it, and 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 eventually defeat him. And so the setting of the game takes place sort of well after all this has occurred, and there are all these martial sects that have evolved over time. And it's basically a, a world inspired by wuxia movies and TV series, where the characters are martial heroes that are, you know, existing in this martial world. What kind of characters can people play in terms of are they divided in classes, professions? How how does that play? Um, I mean, you get a big. It's basically a skill-based game, so you can make any character you want. But there are. It's sort of the and 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 there are social classes in the game. It's based on the four occupations from ancient Chinese history. But that's not really important when you're making your martial hero. You can really make any type of character you want. But you could be like a scholar. You could be, you know, a commoner. You could be uh, a merchant or an artisan. But what's really more important is which sect you belong to and what kind of martial hero you are what your kung fu techniques are and what kung f- how many of those are there in the game there's a i think over 180 I, i know we've counted it a few times and i'm pretty sure it's north of 180 um there had to be a lot of kung fu techniques for it to work because it's all based around the characters you know having uh, a, an arsenal of techniques that define them um and and it's a constantly evolving kung fu landscape so uh so so we had to get 180 in there and everybody starts the game with six and then after that you, you know you just sort of learn more uh, by spending experience but by also in, you know finding manuals uh learning techniques from a shifu or uh or joining a sect and learning their techniques so there it sounds like there is a huge amount to explore from the point of view of the martial arts alone um, mechanically how do they work though the how do the kung fu techniques work mm-hmm. they so every kung fu technique 
is associated with a skill. So there might be um, like a spinning blade technique that you would use your light melee or your medium melee in order to in order to sort of trigger the technique. And you basically make a skill roll against one of your uh, target's parry score or in some cases their evade score. And if you succeed, the, the the technique would work. So you would, you know, you the, the the effects that it describes in the spinning blade technique would take effect. But every technique is kind of got like two modes. There's the sort of normal use where you're not really expending much power or ability, and and that you can do as much as you want. There's no there's no like limit or cap on how many times you can do that a day. But every technique also comes with a cathartic sort of mode like you know that's sort of like the high power I'm really expending a lot of effort on this and when you do that uh, you start acquiring things called imbalance points and when you acquire too many imbalance points you risk being possessed by chi spirits so uh, so you can still do it as much as you want but just every time you you really push yourself there's increased risk that something bad is gonna happen to you and the techniques themselves are divided into four basic categories and characters have differing ranks in those categories. Mechanically, in terms of uh, dice rolling, how does the game play? Uh, it uses d10 dice pools. Mm -hmm. So if you have three ranks in light melee, you roll three d10 and you take the single highest result, and then you compare that against a target number to see if you succeeded. And if you get a 10, that's a total success and something special usually happens. So it's quite a simple thing. Yeah, it is, but I will say this is a more complicated game than our previous games. How? Um, well, number one, all the Kung Fu techniques, um, you know, every time you use it an ability, it's, it's a specific technique in the game, and so you have to be familiar with that technique in order to use it. Um, I would liken it to using spells in a lot of games. It just is an additional step that uh, most of our other games don't have. How does uh, the magic... Um, the, the, is there magic as well as chi, or is chi all the magic there is? There's, there's also there's also ritual magic um, that still that still manipulates chi energy, but in another way usually, and and that you use with the ritual skill. And this is sort of more like Taoist magic type stuff. So you might use it to make paper talismans, or you might use it to uh, help suppress some kind of spirited beast. It usually takes more time. It, it isn't, um, you would have to take the individual skill for the ritual itself, and then it would just be a skill roll to use. And while there's no uh, chi spirit possession with rituals, you do run the risk of going crazy if you, if you uh, fail really badly when you're performing them. In terms of um, races and, and the, the, the kind of characters that people can have, uh, what what are the choices that you've given other than human? So the default is human, and that's sort of assumed to be the norm in most campaigns. But because we know some people might want to have a more fantasy and mythic element, we we created four optional races that are uh, that are available at at character creation. But that's all at GM's discretion. So there's like a race of giants with four arms. There's a race of people that have like a splintered ego. They have like multiple egos, and they're kind of interesting. There's a race of goat men, and um, there's a race of people with three eyes, and their third eye can um, can sense emotion. 
So there is a fair amount of um, fantasy within the setting. You, you haven't confined yourself to just um, humanity, but you haven't gone for elves and dwarves either. No, no. And, and, and the fantasy elements are presented as these are sort of mythical uh, races that people might have heard of living in the mountains or off, you know, far from, uh, from their homeland. So, so that's one of the reasons why they're optional. There's something that they could just be myth, but if the DM wants to make them, you know, a, a, you know, actual beings in the setting, he can. So I've allowed them in some of my campaigns, but uh, usually I, I don't have these races in my campaigns. I usually like to keep it human. Are they races that come out of some sort of um, real-life mythology from, from China, or are they races that you've just invented? We've, we invented them, but we invented them based, there's a, um, the, you know, the, there was a, a book that sort of catalogs, um, like the geography and the mythical landscape of China that, uh, you know, I forget what, which period it was written is, but it's a historical, uh, book. And, and so it describes a number of races that supposedly live in mountains and describes all these monsters and things like that. So it was inspired by that. It was inspired by, by that style of, of, uh, of of creature, but it wasn't anything in specific. Let's let's talk a little bit more about the kung fu within it, because there, there is a lot of it, and you've already mentioned the one eighty number, which is quite a lot. How how is the the, the martial arts um, divided? Um, how many schools can people choose from in, in order to create their character and, and, and evolve their character? So, well, in terms of mechanics, there are four basic disciplines. And the reason there are four disciplines is I, I noticed, you know, watching these movies that, you know, one of the things that, that sometimes trips people up that maybe turns them off to the genre is they think that, that when somebody, like, leaps over a wall, like, at a, you know, really exaggerated way, like they leap 15 feet high or something, mm -hmm. that it's just because they're just allowing any kind of physics to enter into the, into the movie. And and it's really based on some underlying principles that you know are are uh, are are conventions in the genre at this point. So there's like this thing called lightness kung fu, which you know is what allows you to adjust the uh, you know your body weight and things like that. That's why characters can fly. That's why they can run up on on rooftops and and leap over long distances. There's you know internal energy. So that's why they're generating you know you know you know. It depends on what movie or show you're watching, but they they'll sometimes. Be depicted as you know beams of light or or you know you know balls of chi energy, mm -hmm. and you know there's external martial arts and there's pressure point techniques. So I tried to bake those into the sort of the way that kung fu techniques are divided, and and so we have four disciplines that each represent one of those things that I was just talking about. So there's like, uh, and again, my pronunciation here is not perfect. I actually just learned from somebody in China that. Uh, that I'm pronouncing some of my own game terms incorrectly, but uh, Waijia is a is our external martial arts. Uh, Qinggong is our lightness kung fu. Nigong is our internal energy, and Dianshu is all of the pressure point techniques. And then beyond that, you have the different sects, which might have their own sort of uh, you know set of techniques that they know and. By being a member of a sect, you would have access to those techniques. Are there rules in the game, in the book, to create your own sect? Uh, there, there's guidelines for that sort of thing. 
Um, but it's re I mean, it's really, you know, you just kind of look at the sex we have and you would model it on that would be the assumption. Okay. Um, if you're playing a character and, uh, I don't know, you have the uh, Qinggong and the Neigong, uh, can you mix both techniques? Or once you go onto one path, uh, you're supposed to continue that, that path? Um, so if you have like two two different techniques from different disciplines, mm -hmm. are you saying? Yep. Um, well, there is sort of a procedure in the game for blending. Like we have, and we we have a section of uh, techniques that are sort of uh, I think we call them any. It's sort of like a um, sort of like a catch-all category for techniques that either don't quite fall into one martial discipline or are special in some way. And and one of those. Uh, you know, one 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 of the types of techniques that are in there are techniques that are combination techniques because you see this in the genre a lot, where somebody sort of has two techniques they know and then they put them together and they achieve some new result. And you can make techniques that way that are a blend of, say, a Nigong technique and a Waijia technique. Okay, uh, I can see also. I mean, the, the, this um, this book is pretty ginormous at four hundred and seventy-eight pages. Uh, that that is pretty pretty huge, uh, and I can see you have paid a, um, a huge amount of, of time uh, and effort in creating your people and places chapter. There there is a lot of information about the world, uh, the people, and um, uh, and basically all the locations around it. Um, why so much on that? Well, the one reason is we called the game Wandering Heroes of Overgate for a reason. The idea was I wanted it to be more sandboxy. Mm -hmm. So from the very beginning, I ran these campaigns with the sort of sandbox structure to them. And that really required that I had a fully fleshed out setting, at least the Banyan region. The Banyan region in this book is the most fleshed out area of the game world. And the rest I'm going to be trying to release in supplements. But um, but I really just wanted to flesh it out so that I had that um, uh, that space for the players to explore because I didn't want to come to each session with an adventure in mind. I wanted to let everything kind of grow organically, and and I just needed that. And that's what I wanted the book to contain. I wanted the book to be, uh, you know, I wanted we wanted the book to reflect what we did, and and so really that was the reason. In terms of, um, and, and uh, allow me to go back to, to character, because it's, it's something that just um, got to, to me, uh, considering some experiences I've had with some people who absolutely love to power play. How is mm. the game balanced? Because it seems to me that somebody could spend a huge amount of time looking for the best technique of each discipline in order to have the most powerful character ever. H how is balance in the game achieved? Um. Well, you certainly could do that, and and balance. I, I have to say, balance was not a priority. We okay. one of the um, uh, we we when we made Sotorius, we maybe overbalanced that game, and we felt that the end result was sometimes things felt too vanilla, and we and then we released a uh, a follow up PDF of uh, of new spells where we said we're just not even going to worry about balance now, and 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 we actually found it a lot more fun to play with those spells, so. So the way that it's balanced really is by chi level. You know, certain techniques are like, you know, it might be chi level five, so you can't really use it until you get to chi level five. But some techniques are better than others. However, you know, once a good technique exists in the setting, 
there's this expectation that people are going to try to figure out a way around it. So even if you do make a guy who's really good and, and like right out of the gate, you choose the technique in the book that's, that we know is like one of the better techniques and you're going around and you're using it to, you know, and I'll just, so, you know, one technique that people have learned is a great technique is arms of silk. And, you know, I've had players take that and then right out of the gate, they're really great. They can dominate combat a little bit with it. It's, it's very useful. Eventually, they start running into people that have heard of this person and try to figure out a way around that technique and have counters to it. And so the, that's what the kung fu land, the sort of evolving kung fu landscape is all about. It's about, you know, you don't balance it on the mechanical end so much as you balance it on the setting end where, and this is where it's important for the GM to really kind of be proactive and for the other players to be proactive and and be responsive when something powerful appears in the game and sort of plausibly create a, a reaction to it with new techniques that maybe are counters or even new weapons that specifically are you know useful against the technique are there going to be supplements on more techniques uh, more disciplines more i don't know anything more kung fu related uh, I mean, I'm not going to go crazy doing the expansion of the core Kung Fu rules. Part of the reason for that is I put that chapter in the public domain because I figure people can make their own Kung Fu techniques and mm -hmm. put them out there, and then I won't have to do that. Um, but also, uh, I want to focus on putting out martial sex and putting out adventures and setting supplements. So there will be new Kung Fu techniques. Like when I release... Um, our sect books, every sect will usually have some special techniques associated with it. So each of those will have a few new Kung Fu techniques. And when I release setting books, every once in a while I find I need to create a new technique for the, you know, the material that's in there. So there, there, there will be new techniques there, but I'm not going to have like, I don't think, may, maybe, maybe there'll be some manuals in the distant future. But for right now, I just don't have any desire to, to put out like a Jade Phoenix manual that's got a bunch of techniques in it or something. But if people really want it, you know, maybe I'll do it. It's just, I think people are capable of making the techniques themselves, and I'm kind of more interested to see what people come up with. So what's in the kitty for, for this game? How is the line going to develop? Um, well, one of the big things I'm going to be doing is I'm going to be putting out the, um, the Sex of the Martial World books, and these will just be 8 to 10 page PDFs, each one will cover, uh, you know, a new set that the DM can just or the GM can just drop into the game as needed. So, you know, the first one is going to be an organization called the Silken Robe Society. The second one will be uh, the Relentless Corpse Sect, and I think our third one is going to be Crocodile Sect. I, I this these books reflect how I prepare for my games. I basically every week I make a new sect, and I, you know, it's about eight to ten pages of characters. I got all their stats. I got all the leadership. I have all the um, all the junior disciple stat blocks. I have any new techniques that exist for the sect. I have information on their sect headquarters and like any new objects or items that are uh, you know unique to that sect. And and so the uh, uh, so so that's one of the books that we'll be putting out. And those will probably be coming out once a month. And they're going to be either 25 cents or 50 cents I haven't decided yet uh, and, and that's going to be based and, and that's purely about uh, making sure I have the money to cover the art that the books require uh, and then after that I'm going to be probably focusing on modules I have a uh, and, and every module 
I kind of used, there was an old Ravenloft module called um, uh, Feast of Goblins, mm -hmm. and I kind of used that as my my model of what I like. I, I, I like modules that are one part setting, one part adventure. And so every module that I, I do put out will probably kind of have that feel to it. The first one is going to be Ogre Gate Inn in the Strange Land of Lee Fan. And that sort of, our, um, I guess I would call it, it's like our homage to King Who, who directed uh, dr the original Dragon Inn movie, uh, Touch of Zen, uh, the Fatal Lee Khan, and you know, a number, a number of, uh, of really great early wuxia films. Uh, it's also got a little bit of a supernatural element to it. There's like a horror undercurrent to it. And I have, and then we're going to release a profound master book, which gets into the profound master levels. But that's maybe two years away. Between Ogre Gate Inn and the profound book, I'm hoping to release maybe two more modules if I can do it. And I've been thinking about what those are going to be, but I haven't, I haven't really committed to anything. I will also be releasing additional, uh, you know, supplement books like the Ogre Gate Inn and Lee Fon book. It's an adventure about the Ogre Gate Inn, but it's also really primarily a, uh, a setting supplement for the, you know, the Kingdom of Lifan. And I have, you know, I have a region uh, called Haiyan that I want to do. I have a region called Hu Chin I want to do. I want to do a book on the Empire, and I want to do a book on the Kushan Basin, which is where, like, our, our Mongol uh, groups live. So you have, so you have oh, this, this should be lasting you for a while, then. Oh, I think so. I think, and we're going to be focusing on this. Like in a lot of, in the past, what we've done is we've kind of banged out a lot of different games, and and uh, we decided about three years ago we really wanted to start focusing more on modules and stuff. So after this game, we're going to be focusing on modules. I do have a, a supers game in the work that I'm having somebody else do, but that's that's off in the distance, and that's uh, that's something that I'm not going to be the chief writer for the chief designer for well i hope sincerely um that uh, the wandering heroes of ogre gate will have an awful lot of gates to ogre wonder uh because it, it it is pretty obvious that you've put a huge amount of passion and effort into into creating this game and uh, it, it's it's looking it's looking very nice it's, it's oh thank you very very clear um, very clear layout, um, lots and lots of information. It, it oozes flavor, which I really like. So let's let's hope that it um, it it gets you an awful lot of punters. Well, I, I'm hoping so, and we have gotten a lot of um, a lot of interest. I think this has gotten more interest than many of our previous games. So, you know, uh, so I'm pretty optimistic. Good. Let's hope your optimism goes through. <laughs>